Hey friends, my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem. It's a privilege to be worshiping with you. And today is Ash Wednesday, and it marks the beginning of the season that we here in the church call Lent. And there's no other time of the year where we see more religious rituals happening than here during the season of Lent. We see signs of the cross on our foreheads and on our hands. We see signs for uh, for, for fish fries happening left and right everywhere. I don't know if you guys enjoy fish fries. I enjoy a good fish fry. I don't know how many we're going to have this year, but we're going to see if we can't give it a go. We see more worship services happening in the middle of the week, just like this one. We see religious ritual everywhere during the season of Lent. And all these things happen during the season because Lent is a time that the church sets aside to help us get ready for Easter, to get ready for the coming resurrection of Jesus. It's a season full of self-reflection, a time to remember who we are and whose we are, and a call to repentance, a time to begin again. And these religious rituals often bring us into religious practices that maybe don't always do what we think they will. They don't create the solutions that we set out to heaven. Sometimes they might even cause more problems than they create solutions. He's like, let me give you an example. This is the terminology we hear everywhere in the church this time of year is, what are you giving up for Lent? What are you giving up? This is also known as a fast in some places. We're fasting from something. But the term we use is, what are you giving up? Now, here are the most common responses to that, according to the internet. Social media, soda, swearing, alcohol, sweets, fast food, caffeine, shopping for things we don't need. But why? Why do we do this? Here's my stance on this. I think giving stuff up and fasting is, is terrific, but we got to do it for the right reasons. Because I think most of the time this turns into New Year's resolutions 2.0. Whatever we failed at a month and a half ago, we start again and we give it a new shot. But that's not the point of this. It's, it becomes more of an exercise in self-discipline. Those are great. But these ritual practices of repentance don't always accomplish what God intends. Because fasting or giving something up for Lent doesn't create repentant hearts. It's the other way around. True repentance always creates justice. Many of us know the story that we just read, or the portion of the story that we just read, of Jonah. Typically, at the very least, we know the Veggie Tales version of Jonah that usually begins and ends with the fish or the whale. And I'll tell you, this story has so much more to offer, so much more to offer if we just give it a chance. And it's so short, it's only four chapters. You can read it in one sitting very easily. I think it's worth exploring. You know, our reading today comes after the fish experience for Jonah. And Jonah is the only prophetic book in our scriptures told entirely in narrative form, in the form of a story. It's a story about the servant of God named Jonah who holds a grudge against his neighbors in Nineveh. Now Jonah gets a bad rap for this grudge because the Ninevites were horrible. They were horrible. They, was, they were sin city of the most powerful and imperialistic empire perhaps the world has ever known. And God calls Jonah to send a message to his hated Ninevite neighbors. He sends a message of mercy, a message of second chances, a message of warning. But Jonah refuses to send the message because he is afraid that the message might work. He is afraid that the message might work and God do what he, 
Jonah knows God does, which is provide mercy. So Jonah, a literal prophet of God, declares himself chosen by God and reaps all the benefits of this relationship, but doesn't want to be an instrument of God to potentially bring those same benefits to other people. You see, Jonah repents, but Jonah's version of justice that comes from that repentance is to see Nineveh burn. That's justice. But God has something else in mind. God has something else in mind. So Jonah, rather than sharing this message, decides to flee and run away. And that's when God sends the fish, which really isn't as big of a deal as you probably think it is in the story. It's not really the point. And so then Jonah gets spit out of the fish. And then he says, okay, God, I, I, I give in. I give in. I give in. I'm going to go. And he goes. And Jonah reluctantly preaches a five-word sermon to the Ninevites. Bet you guys wish this was five words, don't you? It's eight words in English, but it's only five words in Hebrew. He declares that in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned, or Nineveh will be overthrown. And this word overthrown or overturned as it was in our reading, in Hebrew is, is regularly used as turned or changed or transformed. We see it translated in so many different ways. So Jonah says that soon Nineveh will be overturned. And Jonah hopes this overturning is a message of destruction for his hated Ninevites. But instead, the Ninevites believe Jonah's message. And they own up to their mistakes. And they seek God's mercy. So how do they seek God's mercy? First, they fast. And second, they put on sackcloth. Everyone from the lowest to even the king, the king puts on sackcloth and sits in ashes. And sackcloth and ashes was an ancient tradition practiced inside and outside of the Israelite people. Sackcloth was worn as a sign of repentance. It's like burlap. It's, it would be really uncomfortable to wear it as clothing. And the putting on of ashes signified desolation or ruin and was often a ritual that would be practiced at times of, na of national disaster. It's connected to the message of repentance because it's a symbol of extreme grief and despair. This is where we get our tradition of Ash Wednesday, partially. But this is where things start to get interesting in our story. The king declares a time of fasting for all, even including the animals. That would not go well with my dog at home. <laughs> and calls all to repentance. In verse 8, it says, let everyone call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and violence. In other words, not only are the Ninevites calling on God for mercy, but they're committing to change. The way the Ninevites are repenting is creating justice. And this is what brings God to respond. In verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on the destruction that he threatened. You see, when, when Jonah gave the Ninevites the message from God that they were going to be overturned, that they were going to be changed, that they were going to be transformed, God meant it. And justice was created for Nineveh. But it was God's form of justice. It was God's idea of justice. Not Jonah's. You see, God promised transformation in Nineveh, and God delivered 
But what's the response of the people in Nineveh to God's initiation? It wasn't religious ritual. It wasn't simply to fast or to give up chocolate or alcohol. It wasn't surface-level sorrow or regret. The sackcloth and ashes were only the tip of the iceberg for the Ninevites. They don't just apologize and show their regret through these simples, but they turn from their evil ways. Yes, they fasted. Yes, they practiced ritual repentance, but they also actually repented. Because you see, this word repent that we often confuse with the word remorse or regret doesn't just mean to stop doing something. It means to return, to turn back. Not to stop doing something, not to feel bad, but to return. Repentance is an active returning from evil ways towards the way of God for which we were created. The Ninevites didn't simply stop doing evil, but they showed true transformation of heart. And you see, this is what God desires when we repent. Not just that we turn to him for forgiveness, but that we turn away from our sin. We turn away from our sin and we run toward justice. To repent doesn't just mean to stop and turn around, but to repent means to actively move in the opposite direction. When we pray prayers of repentance, when we participate in our religious practices, are we actively moving in the opposite direction of our disobedience? Or are we just putting on sackcloth and ashes? In the early 1970s, a guy by the name of Charles Colson was an attorney, attorney and special advisor to President Richard Nixon. He was famous for being hard-hearted. He was described as willing to walk over his own grandmother to get the job done if that's what it took. After the tragedy at Kent State University at Vietnam War protests, more anti-war protests were planned in New York, and Colson is recorded as to aiding in the arming of blunt force weapons to union workers in New York to break up the protests with physical force. Of course, Colson was also a key cog in the Watergate scandal as well, covering up as much as he knew, as much as he possibly could, and ultimately he was arrested and indicted for it. He served a seven-month prison sentence. And after his arrest, before he went into prison, he was gifted a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And he joined a prayer group with the leaders of the people who were discipling him. And Colson was actually converted before he entered the prison walls. But this gave him a new lens. Once he entered the prison walls, he saw the injustice that happens inside the prison, the poor conditions with which they live, and the poor preparation and rehabilitation they have to re-enter the world once they get out. And so after his release from prison, Colson founded the Prison Fellowship, which focuses on prison rehabilitation, helping bridge them to life outside the walls of prison. And they also work to create reform in the prison system within the United States. Today, it's one of the largest prison ministries in the world, bringing the gospel to people who are incarcerated. That is some repentance creating justice. It wasn't enough to just accept the mercy God offered Colson for himself, but it was precisely because he had taken on the heart of Jesus that he was compelled to do something, 
to create justice for others. In the season of sacrifice and fasting, we can't just go through the motions. We can't just ask for forgiveness. We have to do something to create justice. Not because that's what earns our mercy or earns our salvation, but because we have been overturned by what God has done for us, we can't not do something. We can't not create justice. We have to be overturned by God. The prophet Isaiah confronts the people of Israel who were practicing their religious rituals but forsaking justice. He wrote this message from God in Isaiah 58. Isn't this the fast that I choose? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? Then your light will break out like the dawn and you will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the yoke from among you, the finger pointing, the wicked speech... If you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. You got, God says that sacrifice, fasting, and ritual without repentance is just piety. It's just religiosity. It's just orderliness so we can fool ourselves and maybe even others into thinking we're something we're not. And repentance without justice is just an apology, and God doesn't just want our apologies. He wants our hearts. Which means my words and actions can't just speak repentance, but my heart has to run towards the creation of justice. My words and actions aren't just words and actions, but like the Ninevites, my words and actions are actually a reflection of where my heart is. Jesus' vision of justice is sacrificing so that others may experience fullness of life. So when we repent and ask Jesus for justice and mercy for ourselves, but we're unwilling to extend it to others, we're making the claim that we are worthy of the mercy of God and that others are not. Which is the exact opposite attitude of Jesus, of course. Were the Ninevites worthy of the mercy God gave them? No more or less than you or me. But when they experience the mercy of God, when they experience God's form of justice in their lives, the only possible response for them was to go share it with somebody else, to live out what they knew in their own life. This is the purpose of the Christian life. This is the purpose of sacrifice, of fasting, of giving something up. The purpose of repentance. Not simply that we might be spiritually enlightened, but so that the same justice we have received through the gracious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus might also be offered to others. So how is it that your repentance will bring about kingdom justice in the lives of others? Who are the mistreated that your freedom in Jesus will allow you to set free? Where are the hungry that you will feed in response to the bread of life you have found in Jesus? Who are those experiencing homelessness that you need to house because you have a home in the heart of Christ? Where are the unclothed that you will provide for in response to being clothed in righteousness by God? 
Who is walking in darkness that you will bring the light of the world? Clothe the cold, feed the hungry, house the unhoused, advocate for the oppressed, set the captive free, creating justice regardless of whether the world deems them worthy or not. God has given us forgiveness and brought his loving and merciful justice to us in spite of our own unworthiness. What if together we refocused repentance from an individual act of faith to a transformational act creating justice in the world around us? Christians who try to repent without justice are no good for the world because they're hogging all that is good in the world instead of sharing it. When we are repentant without creating justice, we sit on the throne ourselves and turn into the judge of the world around us. But when we repent like the Ninevites, when we repent the way God calls us to, those living in death receive life, those who are hungry are fed, those who are living in darkness now have light. You see, the world isn't changed through religious repentance. The world is changed when our repentance creates justice. That's what the season between now and Easter is all about, and let's make it so for all of us. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that your idea of justice is sacrificing that others might gain. As we call on you for repentance, empower us with your spirit to be so transformed that we not only accept your mercy for ourselves, but we make it real for others too. We pray that our repentance would create justice. Amen.